Welcome to our last Tuesday of the month book discussion and podcast. Just a couple of librarians talking about books we think others might enjoy. Our first read in 2021 is The Body, A Guide for Occupants by Bill Bryson. I'm Amy and joining me today is Erin, the Youth and Teen Services Librarian at North Liberty Library. Hello, Amy and everyone. Hi! Okay, I'm very excited for this talk. I'm not always excited about nonfiction, though. (laughs) (laughs) I did enjoy this book, and it's the first Bill Bryson book that I've ever read, but I did think it was a little textbooky at some points. Yes, I would agree. I feel like it wasn't for me, at least, until he got to, like, maybe the brain, because he starts by talking like microbial you and your skin and your hair and that just Mm -hmm. like how to build a human and I was just like but I did switch and I started listening to it after that point and so that may just be because I was listening to him read his book instead of actually reading it that it felt less textbooky Yeah, his voice definitely does something for her. Maybe it's just the accent, question mark, because I was super confused throughout the whole book because I know he's from Iowa, but like there's something about his voice that sounds British. Well, but once you've lived for a while in a different country, I think it's really easy to pick up their accent. And so I think that's exactly what he did. Plus he's like a lecturer or he was a lecturer at... Mm -hmm. Durham University, England's third oldest university from 2005 to 2011. So that's quite a long time. That is. And he starts to, you know, incorporate their little turns of phrases and things. But yes, it's not all British and it's not all flat Iowa either. Yeah, that's interesting that you said that because I know somebody who her family is from Louisiana and she was born and raised pretty much in Missouri and (laughs) Iowa but like every time she would go back to visit her family she would very quickly slip into like Louisiana accent. I have cousins in Missouri and I feel like it's in the middle but it's definitely country and it is funny when I talk to them because they cannot just call me Aaron they have to call me Aaron Sue and it doesn't stop. I'm of an age where, you know, that shouldn't be a thing anymore, but it is still. So, <laughs> I tangent about accents. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but important. Yeah, yeah. Just little humor, just like what Bill gave us. Yes. Uh, there was some really good humor points in here, which I thought made it even better nonfiction reading. Did you have favorite humor points? I don't know why I thought it was so funny because it was a really good example of what he was talking about. But for some reason, the humor of the cocktail party experiment, either it was the way he told the story or just the fact that like I was living through this situation where this cocktail party experiment. Remind me which one was that? So that was the one where they looked at how DNA and like fluids from each individual person basically made its way around the room in this like little cocktail experiment. And like, they did things like count the number of times adults touch their faces, which was oh, like, yes. 16 times in this short <laughs> time period. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I am a face toucher and I've had I am too. Oh my God. I've been made very aware of that since coronavirus started and having to wear a mask all the time. And like, 
yes, I touch my face all the time. I just do. We're okay though, Amy. At least we're aware of that now. I'd forgotten about that little nugget of grossness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Human body's gross. There's lots of gross things about science. Yeah. And like, oh gosh, now see, I'm going off topic of what I had in my notes, but that doctor who decided to study the baby poop and found like all the different bacteria that's in the poop, but also how important he was to, I just found it in the guts section, Theodore Eserich. He microscopically examined baby poop in the 19th century and found a brand of E. coli that was named in his honor. And there's lots of different strands of E. coli, which I also didn't know. I thought there was just the one that was really awful, but I guess there's a lot. But anyway, that was fascinating that you would think to study the poop, but I guess everybody poops as the book says. So why wouldn't you want to study it? I wouldn't want to study it. There are lots of things I wouldn't want to study. But the baby poop, was that also when they talked about like they started discovering like benefits of breast milk or yeah. was okay. I, well, I think it was in the mix somewhere. Cause they were talking about the gut. So they must've been talking about milk in yep. that part as well, because I yes. specifically remember the talk about milk. Yes. And how wonderful breast milk is and how awful it was that companies decided to tell moms that formula was better than breast milk. And then all those women who were in poor countries were diluting their formula with bad water and then the babies weren't thriving and you know as people say breast is best but man if it doesn't work for you it's okay sometimes your baby doesn't like your breast milk and that's okay too if you have to switch to formula not that I'm speaking from experience or anything no mom shaming here that's what we're getting at folks no mom shaming I think the things that were my favorite were kind of what you were saying in your notes about like the, the fun anecdotes that you now have for parties. Tells you the kind of parties I go to when I'm <laughs> dropping fun <laughs> anecdotes about the human body. <laughs> Which like, nobody's going to parties right now anyways, but when you can go to parties again, what's one you're going to drop on people? I found some really interesting stuff about the eyes because I was looking into LASIK surgery and so there's some interesting stuff in there. Particularly, I have to ask, did you do the blind spot test when he was talking about that? Uh, I think I did and was freaked out and so then stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Because I thought that was really fun and that is probably something I will drop occasionally. I'd really like to see if I can get a younger adult or like a teenage friend of a friend or something Mm -hmm. and see if I could get them to do it. And I don't know. I just think that I would have fun kind of freaking them out a little bit. Well, you know, blind spot is, it's so strange because like, you know, even when you're driving, you know, you swear there is nobody around you. That's what always check your blind spot. And then you look and all of a sudden there's this car that came out of nowhere I just got a new car and it has like blind spot monitoring. It's very helpful. I highly recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked learning about all the weird things that happen to people. So Phineas Gage, I don't know how many people know about Phineas Gage, but he had a railroad spike that blew up in front of him and it went through his eye, up through his brain and out the back of his skull. And he lived which I think is really unsettling, but it changed his 
personality so much that people just said he was no longer Gage because he had frontal lobe damage. And that led to the discussion following that about the guy that kind of created the lobotomy and just people like randomly experimenting on people that like they had no idea what they were doing. And they're like, oh, let's see what happens if we remove this part of your brain. And, you know, you feel bad for the people that were experimented on without their real knowledge of what was going to happen. I thought lobotomies were only performed on people that were like severely depressed or certified insane or whatever, but nope, that was not the case. Was it Amy? No. And it's bad enough when, you know, there's even just a select few people, like no excuses on the people that we originally thought were only receiving those lobotomies either. But like, I guess I didn't expect it to be yeah, quite so, I guess maybe not common, but yeah, more common than I originally thought. Uh, Yeah. So Walter Jackson Freeman is the guy's name in the United States that enthusiastically endorsed Monitz, who was the guy in Europe that started doing this. And there's a period of 40 years where he traveled the country performing lobotomies to almost anyone brought before him. And he was not even like a trained surgeon. He was uh, like a psychiatrist. And so he literally used the ice pick and just jammed it up people's noses. And oh my God. And that's where I discovered that he was the one that gave Rosemary Kennedy her lobotomy. And she didn't even need one. I didn't even know she'd ever gotten one. So like to hear the name Kennedy associated with the like lobotomy, I was like, oh my gosh, how did I not even know this before? Yeah. Like I knew that she had one. Why? I don't know, but somewhere I had probably seen it. And I thought it was because she was depressed or something like that. But no, she might've had some learning difficulties But I think more importantly, she was vivacious and attractive and headstrong and had a tendency to mood swing. And in 1941, I guess, in the Kennedy family, you could not do that as a woman. You know, no mention about what her brother did as a womanizer, but we digress. And then she was profoundly hurt by that. And then I was really sad because it said her mom, like, didn't visit her for 20 years. And she was in a care center for 64 years like wow like some of that's got to be like shame right like she's shamed by what they did to her I can't even imagine well the dad did it and didn't consult the mom in this case too and so I'm sure you're right that she was just like horrified and ashamed that she couldn't stop the procedure from happening Yeah, so it's interesting what causes people to decide to experiment on other people, like the guy, Alexis St. Martin, who Mm -hmm. got shot in the hardware store in Vermont in the same town that Phineas Gage. (laughs) It's weird connections. Same town, not the same time, but he got shot and it left like a one-inch hole with easy access to his stomach. Mm -hmm. And so this doctor took him in and... That's how we know so much about like what the stomach does is because of experiments he did with this poor guy, including like tasting the contents of his stomach, which <laughs> makes me, I mean, the whole thing is gross. <laughs> I don't really want to put too much thought behind it. I don't either, but all I can think about is fun dip. <laughs> like, 
image of a fun dip and that guy with access to the stomach hole, that's that's my visual, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's the perfect disgusting visual, but yeah. Boy. Oh my gosh. Um, so anyways, there's a lot of good juicy tidbits in this book. If you think it's boring, just wait a little bit and you will get to some fascinating factoids like that. And they will stick with you for yes. sure. Mm-hmm. Lots of good words too. There are some good vocabulary in there that I was like, oh, that's a fun word. I'm going to try yes. to remember that word. Yes. Of course now probably can't remember them, but they're in there, right? Yeah. Proprioception. Oh. The sense of where we are in space. Oh, yes. So like if you close your eyes and you're sitting, you still know where you are. Yeah. Which I think that if you start reading to babies when they're born and like that's why board books are so essential is because the tactile hand to book and turning the page, it helps with that proprioception. So yeah, read to your babies, let them handle the board books and turn the pages and stick it in their mouth. They're developing their brain senses. That's awesome. Fun Mm -hmm. factoid. Another one from Aaron. Yes. Speaking of other areas, were there chapters or sections that you particularly enjoyed or thought? I really liked a chapter that we both kind of liked. Well, there's the one about food and all of that. I wasn't so much interested in how the kilograms and like how that stuff was discovered and like fat content at the beginning. But then when he started getting into vitamins and then how like unscrupulous people took advantage of like vitamins and that one guy that took like 4,000, oh no, not 4,000, 40,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily. The daily recommended dose for adults is 60 and he took 40,000 was saying like, that's why prostate cancer kept it at bay and literally no evidence of that. And there's no scientific backing of that, but it's him is why we think we need to take massive amounts of vitamin C to help get rid of a cold, but like, it doesn't work. You know, the science doesn't back it up. It's good to take vitamins if you know you're not getting enough. I'm a fan of my magnesium and my calcium because I don't drink milk. And that leads to the other interesting chapter I thought, which was the immune. What's the chapter, Amy? Well, it talked about autoimmune disorders and diseases. Yes, Yes, that chapter. I wish you guys could see my book that has all of my like sticky notes in it because there's so much in here that was giving me great joy. But then when I start talking about it, I can never find exactly what I want to speak about. But yes, the autoimmune disease and nerves and pain, that whole section to me is fascinating for many reasons, because why does your body attack cells that they know are intruders, but then why does it attack your own cells? And why does that happen to women more than it happens to men? And how is that fair? (laughs) And then just like the whole thing about pain and your nerves and how, you know, I'd heard about phantom limb pain before, but why it's so much to do with your brain with pain and why do some people experience pain in a different way than other people? I don't know. I think it's led to a lot of terrible things that have that are afflicting people right now, the opioid epidemic. When you give people a magic pill that takes away their pain, of course, everybody's going to want that. And when you give them a pill that's an opiate, 
that you purposely know is addictive and then you tell people that it's not and then you convince other people that it's not and then millions and millions of people are addicted to opioids and heroin and you then get to walk away and say, oh, we didn't know, that's a problem. And, you know, pain is real and people want a magic fix because physical therapy is boring. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to do physical therapy to feel better. I, well, and it's more expensive. It is. And yeah. so doctors are like, you know, well, we'll try this. Well, and also just, you know, healthcare. Maybe we shouldn't get into that whole conversation right now. But right. no, sadly, no, we can't. I think there's a lot of people out there that really need good pain relief. And I know that opioids can provide that for people, but the way that certain companies went about marketing that for profit off of people, that's a problem. I mean, trust me, I'm a fan. One of the surgeries I had for skin cancer, I was hooked up to a morphine drip and it was great because there was just a little button that you pushed every time. (laughs) <laughs> you were in pain and it was magic, but also can't send people home with stuff like that. If not giving them all of the knowledge and you're telling them that you're not going to get addicted to it. Anyways, that's a whole nother. <laughs> I think I went off on that. Um, the last time we talked, Amy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, we already know that you're interested in opioids. We talked about opioid Indiana last I time. Know. Um, and also I really like nonfiction. So I think that people should know lots of things about lots of things, which is why I'm a librarian, I think, because I like to know lots of things about lots of things. And maybe nobody will want to read the body after we talk about it, but you guys should because it's really good. I think I'm going to ask if we can get it on Digital Johnson County because it's not on there as an audio, but I just bought it from a company to listen to. So I would also recommend it uh, on the audio version. It's just very difficult because it's so big to read it in a decent amount of time unless you have just a really dedicated brain to it, I think. Don't read it like before you're going to bed because you'll fall asleep. At least I did. If you look at the book like before the acknowledgments, um, it's 383 pages long. But the cool thing about the book is there are pictures in there that he put in about different times. So pictures and drawings, like the whole insulin thing is fascinating to me. Also, how kids that had diabetes, they were like so skinny and like skeletal looking. And then after they get insulin, they're like, you know, normal looking kids. And Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, there's that terrible picture of the x-ray of the kid who'd swallowed the safety pins actually not so much swallowed, but like force fed by her older sibling. (laughs) But there's a whole thing about the guy that removed all these strange swallowing objects. Oh, if anybody listening ever has a chance to go to Philadelphia to the Mutter Museum, you can see a lot of these objects that he pulled out of people. They're on display. There's also a lot of other freaky weird things on display in that museum, like the woman who turned into soap after she died. It's a true story. There's all kinds of weird stuff in there, but it's really cool. I love those kinds of museums. Yes. I mean, all museums are great, but. Yeah, but there's definitely some off the beaten path, strange things, but so cool. Also, one last thing, because it's another Iowa connection, and I think it's probably a little bit more well known, but the story about Charles Osborne 
and having hiccups for like 68 years yeah and just the human diaphragm like they don't know enough about it and all the things and I just so anyway yeah. hiccups for 68 years and can you imagine he didn't hiccup when he slept yeah and when they first started it was like 40 a minute I would go crazy yeah and if I was in a relationship with him <laughs> I would also go crazy like, I think that would be worse oh my god like can you imagine it's just stop but then I guess after like a year you realize like he really can't help it (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared out of him because that's what I'd be doing like jumping out of places constantly constantly (laughs) telling him to stand on his head Amy is right around the peanut butter (laughs) yeah I like the peanut butter trick I also once my uncle he cupped his hands and he said hiccup into my hands And it worked one time because then, of course, like I tried it after that and it never worked again. But I think it's like if you can concentrate on something long enough, then they stop. Why is that? So many things that doctors and scientists and lay people have discovered throughout the centuries. And then so many things that they still don't know about. So there's a lot of work that can be done Mm -hmm. in the sciences if you're into that kind of thing. Just when you think we have it all figured out the coronavirus comes. It's interesting too, as an aside that you're talking about like diseases and infectious things like that, how even when you're presented with the facts, people still just completely disregard them. And I'm thinking specifically about Typhoid Mary. Mm -hmm. She couldn't see these little microbes that were causing people to die. And she just had this special combination of things that shed from her skin. And if she had just washed her hands, like it would have been okay. But even when she was confronted by the health authorities, she was like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't know what you're talking about. Like she changed her name so that she could keep working, which again, we want to talk about class and working conditions and the healthcare system. We'll have to do that another time. But you know, this woman needed to work to live and they ended up putting her like away on an island so that she couldn't infect people, but also like, because she couldn't see it, she wouldn't believe it. And I feel like there's a lot of parallels from typhoid Mary to what we're seeing right now with the coronavirus and people not trusting the science and just, <laughs> which I don't want to make this a political podcast, but anyway, there's a great children's book actually called like, it's typhoid fever, typhoid Mary by Gail Jarrow that came out last year, 2019, I think. Oh, Fatal Fever, Tracking Down Typhoid Mary. So it's like this really cool upper elementary, junior high targeted nonfiction book. And it's a narrative nonfiction, so it reads really well. But it's all about the scientist and the public health team that did the work into figuring out what was killing these people and who was the common denominator before they finally figured it out. And it's really fascinating. And, you know, sometimes I think that juvenile and young adult books are actually really great for reading for nonfiction because A, they're going to read quickly and B, you're not going to get bogged down with like the minutia of the details. I mean, if you're into that kind of stuff, that's great. But also if you just want to learn in a shorter amount of time, I highly recommend juvenile and young adult nonfiction. But that one is actually really good and because I didn't realize 
all that there was to know about her. And he kind of touches on her diseases and things. So that's all I was going to say about that. (laughs) That's a great first recommended read. We'll go ahead and drift into our other recommendations here. If you're looking for something to add to your nonfiction reading list, I would suggest, okay, fine, whatever. The year (laughs) I went from being afraid of everything to being afraid of most things by Courtney Hamster. It's great memoir about anxiety. And so if you could use a laugh, I highly recommend it, even if you don't live with anxiety. Or for those of you who are looking for more like nonfiction with a science lens, Mary Roach, who's pretty popular for her book Stiff, wrote one called Grunt, which is about specific barriers and challenges and other issues that face soldiers and kind of outcomes of war on the body. So that's packed with a bunch of fascinating facts. Phil Bryson references her book Gulp several times in his book. So yes, people really like her stuff. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it, but it's on my list sometime. All right. And we will be back next month to discuss The Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips with Jennifer Jordabrack, the assistant library director. And we hope you'll join us again. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody.